0: what's a tumor marker for colon cancer? CEA is the tumor marker for colon cancer. For liver cancer, we have AFP. And for thyroid cancer, we have thyroglobulin. And thyroglobulin is important when reading uh, post-thyroidectomy ultrasound. So the key thing to look for is before you even look at the ultrasound, look at their thyroglobulin level. If their thyroglobulin level is undetected or low, then you have some certainty that when you read that thyroid ultrasound that you're not going to see anything or any residual thyroid tissue as long as they don't have an antibody to thyroglobulin. If they do, then it's a completely different story. You can The lab is useless and you have to really look at the ultrasound. Again, tumor marker for colon cancer is CEA. Tumor marker for liver cancer is AFP. And tumor marker for thyroid cancer is thyroglobulin. What is Toulosal-Hunt syndrome, this is an idiopathic inflammatory process of the orbital apex and or the cavernous sinus. Histologically, it's very similar to orbital pseudotumor and typically present with retroorbital pain and multiple cavernous sinus cranial nerve palsy. It is rapidly responsive to steroids. Again, Toloso hunt syndrome is idiopathic inflammatory process of the orbital apex and the cavernous sinus. It is Similar or histologically identical to orbital pseudotumor, and it presents with retroorbital pain, multiple cavernous sinus cranial nerve palsy, and it is rapidly responsive to steroid. Again, this is Toloso Hunt syndrome. Please look up images for the quadrigeminal plate cistern. Again, the quadrigeminal plate cistern and the intrapeduncular cistern. Again, intrapeduncular cistern. Hereditary hemorrhagic telangiectasia, HHT, or osler Weberando disease. This is a multiple mucocutaneous telangiectasia associated with multi-organ involvement. Typically on physical exam, what you look for is you look for red spots on the skin, particularly around the lips and oral mucosa. Organ involvement as follows, starting from top to bottom. On the brain, we worry about AVMs or aneurysm, so we screen these patients at least once in a lifetime using uh, MRI. For the lung, we worry about AVMs, so we screen them regularly, I think it's every two years, with a CTPA. On the abdomen, we have two particular locations the liver, we see arteriovenous communication in the liver, so the appearance would be mottled appearance of the hepatic parenchyma because of this arteriovenous shunting. On the GI system, we get AVMs that can bleed, and this will be a cause of bleeding for patients. Again, hereditary hemorrhagic telangiectasia or Osler-Weberandu syndrome is a multiple mucocutaneous telangiectasia involving multiple organs. On the brain, we get aneurysms or AVMs everywhere, brain, lung, GI system, and the liver will have the mottled appearance of the hepatic parenchyma due to arterial venous communication. Monier Kuhn versus William Campbell. So Monier Kuhn is also known as tracheobronchomegaly, and the name says the process. It's trachea and bronchial enlargement. William Campbell is a disorder of the distal bronchial cartilage, can be congenital or acquired and if it's acquired, it would be a sequela of a viral infection. Again, Monier-Kuhn is tracheobroncholomegaly, and William Campbell is distal bronchial cartilaginous issues, where both of them, the, there's enlargement of the structure involved. So William Campbell, we have the bronchial cartilage uh, disorder, where there is enlargement of the distal bronchi. For Monier-Kuhn, it's the tracheobronchomegaly is the other name for this disorder. Extraenteric findings associated with inflammatory bowel disease. Again, extraenteric manifestation of inflammatory bowel disease in Crohn's and uh, ulcerative colitis. Typically, we have renal and gallbladder stones due to malabsorption, lymphoma, more common in Crohn's disease. Fistula is also more common in Crohn's and abscess formation, typically within the leaves of the mesentery or retroperitoneal. So in patients with chronic uh, Crohn's or history of Crohn's, we need to worry about lymphoma, renal and gallstones, abscess formation, and fistulas. A type of lymphoma caused by Epstein-Barr virus that arises after a solid organ or bone marrow transplant. This is post-transplant lymphoproliferative disorder, PTLD. Again, this is a lymphoma caused by Epstein-Barr virus, after solid organ transplant or immunosuppression, renal transplant patients are particularly at a higher risk of occurrence. This can occur anywhere, regardless of the organ that was transplanted, and it would appear as a mass with variable, non specific uh, imaging features. And so, if we ever see a mass in a transplant patient, it's important to mention that even if it's a liver mass or intra abdominal mass, it's important to consider PTLD and the treatment for PTLD is immune suppression. Again, PTLD is lymphoma caused by Epstein-Barr virus after a solid organ transplant and the treatment for it is immune suppression. Heavy T2 weighted image. This is basically an image that would enhance the appearance of fluid within uh, structures. So when we say heavily way to to image where we're emphasizing that we're looking for fluid. And the utility for liver imaging that the cyst will appear exactly as similar intensity as CSF. It is good screening for benign liver lesions because they will appear less prominent than CSF. So hemangioma will have signal intensity between the CSF and the spleen solid lesions are not well, cons- not well visualized on this sequence. Usually we need just a normal T2 weighted image for evaluation as they can look inconspicuous or similar to the liver. Again, it's useful for identifying uh, or variation between fluid felt structure, so hemangioma and a hepatic cyst. Important clinical features when evaluating or staging organ-confined bladder cancer. The key thing to look for if there is muscle involvement or not, if there is muscle involvement in bladder cancer that will require cystectomy, if there is not a muscle involvement that would not require cystectomy. So again, for organ-confined bladder cancer, muscle movement is very important in terms of management, and this is something that we need to mention in our report's What is Blount's disease or tibia vera? This is a growth deformity of the medial proximal tibia resulting in excessive medial bowing of the lower extremity, the tibia and it is an idiopathic condition but can be secondary to abnormal endochondral ossification from excess of stress and compression, more commonly seen in obese children. It can be unilateral or bilateral and can be infantile form presenting one to three years of age or juvenile form presenting between six to 13 years of age. Again, tibia vera or Blount's disease is a growth deformity in the medial proximal tibia, resulting in excessive medial bowing of the lower extremity. Idiopathic, but can be from overweight or excessive stress. More common in obese children can be bilateral or unilateral and can occur in infants presenting at one to three years of age or juvenile presenting at six to 13 years of age. Schizencephaly, this is a cortical malformation where the gray grain matter lines a cleft extending from the appendema into the ventricle. So it extends from the appendema to the pia matter, so from the outside of the brain into the ventricles. There are two types, either open or closed, uh, closed lip or open lip. Both of them are open. The only difference on how closely are the two sides of the opening are. On closed lip, the cleft uh, are close to each other, are very opposed. The walls are very opposed. On open lip, the walls are very open. It's a wide gap. The key thing to know, it's a congenital disorder. It's not genetic. Uh, and it is the white matter would line the cleft of the defect. Again, schizencephaly. Is a malformation where white matter would line the cleft where the brain is open, communicating between the most outer portion of the cortex into the interventricular system. Differential for cerebellopontine angle masses. So the mnemonic I like to use is AMEN. And A for acoustic schwannoma, and that's the most common lesion. M is for meningioma. Second most common lesion. E is for ependymoma and N for neuroepithelial cyst, arachnoid, or epidur- epidermoid cyst. Again, amen. A for acoustic schwannoma, M is for meningioma, E for ependymoma, ependymoma and N is for neuroepithelial cyst, arachnoid, or epidermoid cyst. Susceptibility artifact is associated with which MRI magnetization? It's seen in the transverse magnetization. Again, transverse magnetization associated with susceptibility artifact. chyluria this is typically seen in CT scan where there's a thin fat layering density in the top of the bladder causing the fat fluid or fat urine level. It is associated with filariasis infection that can cause nephrotic syndrome, or iatrogenic, which due to partial nephrectomy. Again, chyluria which is a communication between the uh, lymphatic system in case of surgery, and the urinary tract, which drains the chylus secretion into the urine. On CT scan, we see a layering density of fat on top of the urine, typically on an axial slice of the uh, c- abdomen pelvis. What is the differential for expansile or lytic lesion? Typically, fibrous dysplasia, which will demonstrate ground glass matrix, uh, aneurysmal bone cyst, metastasis, enchondroma, and brown tumor, particularly in cases of hyperparathyroidism. Again, the two main ones are fibrous dysplasia and aneurysmal bone cyst, but metastasis as well. Again, overall differential for an expansile or lytic Rib lesion are fibrous dysplasia, aneurysmal bone cyst, metastasis, including multiple myeloma, enchondroma, and brown tumor in scenarios of elevated uh, hyperparathyroidism. Adenomyosis. This is an endometrial tissue in the myometrium. Again, adenomyosis is endometrial tissue within the myometrium of the uterus on MRI this dist- appears as diffuse T2 dark signal, as opposed to leiomyoma or fibroids, which would be round and well-defined. Again, uh, adenomyosis is endometrial tissue within the uterus. Do not confuse it with adenomyomatosis, which is cholesterol deposits within the gallbladder wall. Again, do not confuse adenomyosis with endometriosis, trioma which is endometrial tissue within the ovary. Do not confuse it with adenomyomatosis which is in the gallbladder and do not confuse it with endometriosis which is endometrial tissue outside of the uterine cavity. Premature closure of the cranial suture is termed craniosynostosis. Again craniosynostosis is premature closure of the cranial tissue or cranial sutures. What's the name of cranial nerve number nine It is the glossopharyngeal nerve, cranial nerve number 10 is the vagus nerve, cranial nerve number 11 is the accessory nerve, and cranial nerve number 12 is the hypoglossal nerve, again, glossopharyngeal nerve is number nine, vagus is number 10, accessory is number 11, and hypoglossal is cranial nerve number 12. Imaging hallmark of dementia with Lewy body. So, dementia with Lewy body is basically Parkinsonism symptom with visual hallucination. And the imaging hallmark on PET scan is hypometabolic occipital lobe. So, occipital lobe hypometabolism is associated with dementia with Lewy body. Dementia with Lewy body is Parkinson symptoms, so, the motor symptoms of Parkinson in addition to visual hallucination. Pharmacologic cardiac stress testing agent in patients with asthma or COPD or reactive airway disease is dubutamine. It has less activity on the smooth muscle of the uh, lungs. So again, preferred agent for stress testing in patients with COPD or reactive airway disease is dubutamine. Earliest findings associated with asbestos. Earliest finding associated with asbestos is asbestos Related asbestos pleural disease, typically associated with benign pleural effusion, involves the parietal pleura. Can be bilateral and can involve the ribs. This is important to distinguish it from asbestosis. Asbestosis is asbestos plus parenchymal changes, not pleural changes. Asbestos pleural disease is disease of the pleura. It's the earliest sign finding of uh, asbestos exposure. Asbestosis. When we use the word asbestosis we're referring to parenchymal changes of asbestos exposure what's endoleak type 3 this is a defect in the graft fabric or disconnection of the modules used to form the graft so endoleak type 3 is uh, disconnection or disruption of the fabric fabric tear or discontinuation of the modular overlap